Do you know a woman who is driving positive change, growth, or innovation in her organization or community? The second annual Success Women of Influence Awards are underway. So whether a friend, a family member, or peer, give the recognition she deserves. The Success Women of Influence Awards honor, celebrate, and empower the extraordinary women whose contributions have impacted their industries and their communities, and the personal and professional lives of those in their world. Visit success.com slash W-O-I to nominate the women of influence in your life today. If you're looking for success, it's in the details. Small hinges move big doors. And now your host, Karen Allen. Hello, friend, and welcome to In the Details. I'm your host, Karen Allen. Welcome back. I mean, we have been here for over a year. I've spoken to so many amazing humans from all walks of life, and today's episode is no different. Alessandro Tronco is originally from Sicily, but he moved to the U.S. at age six, returned briefly back to Sicily, and then came back to America as a teenager with only $5. You heard that right. And yes, we will make sure to dive into how he started his journey with only $5. But he didn't stop there. He didn't let his circumstances become his destiny. He ended up becoming one of the youngest managing partners at a Fortune 100 financial planning company. And his life-changing journey also led him to write a book called The Buddha Who Drove a Bentley. I don't know about you, but as soon as I heard that title, I was like, wait, say what? We need to talk about that as well. But this book is actually a beacon of inspiration because it explores the transformative power of forgiveness, self-discovery, and true happiness. Fueled by his commitment to a clean lifestyle and dedication to sustainability, Alessandro also founded Spirit Water. This endeavor is dedicated to empowering individuals to make informed decisions and prioritize their holistic well-being within the physical, mental, and spiritual aspects of their lives. I don't know about you, friend, but I am ready to get in the details with Alessandro. Alessandro, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Karen. Well, we had an opportunity to sit down, to get to know each other a little bit. And I'll tell you, the first thing that I thought was, wait, you did what? When we talked about your journey to coming to America. I mean, so coming into a new country with $5, that sounds absolutely wild but also inspiring. So where do you even begin? How did you take your first step with so little? Yeah. And so, you know, when, so like you had mentioned, I had moved to America when I was about six years old and then we spent, you know, nine years here and everything was going great. And then my dad, uh, you know, suddenly said, Hey, I, I think there's a better future in, in, in Sicily. And so literally overnight we moved back to Sicily and at 14, it was really difficult to now adapt to like a whole literally new world. And so when we got there, it, it wasn't good. The Italian school system didn't want to let us into school. They said that the American school system wasn't up to par. And so we'd have to move back. I think it was two or three grades. And so we were like, well, there's no way we're, we're going to move back two or three grades. And so we didn't go to school for about nine months. And then my mom did something that now as a parent, I really appreciate and, and how hard it was. You know, she knew that she had to get her kids back to America. And, and, and my dad was pretty stubborn. And so one day, uh, without him knowing, um, she sold her engagement ring and she bought two one-way tickets back to America. One for me uh, 
15 and one for my older sister. and She was only 16. Um, we did have a younger sister that was 13. So my mom didn't send her. And basically my mom said, hey, can you call a friend and see if you could stay there for a bit? And I did. And, and my sister called a different friend and and that friend said, you could stay with us for a bit. And you got to remember, this was, um, you know, f- over 30 years ago. There's no cell phones. We don't have a credit card. Um, and so you just put your kids on a plane to a totally different country. And it was hard for me, but it must have been really much more difficult for my parents having to do that, knowing I don't know. There wasn't like a game plan on when they were going to come back. It was like, hey, we'll, you know, at some point we will reunite. But my mom was was smart. She knew that there, if her kids were here, that somehow my dad would come to his senses at some point and say, hey, uh, we need to go back to America. So she knew that there was no real future there for us. There was a future here. And the only way back here was to do something really really drastic. And, and the $5 is not an exaggeration. Like we did not have any money. And so you land, um, you get picked up at the airport. And then a lot of it, you block out of your mind as a 14 or 15 year old, because it's really painful. But I will say like, and I think like anything else in life, those uh, moments in life is what builds you as a person. And, you know, I know it's so cliche, like what doesn't kill you, make you, makes you better, but it's true. And, and so I learned a lot during that um, year and a half without my parents. It was a long time. It wasn't a couple of weeks. It wasn't a couple of months. It was a really long time. And, but you figure it out. You know, I went to school. I got a job. I just figured it out. Mm. You know, you said something that resonates deeply that sometimes you just block it out, right? When you're in the mm. thick of things. And I don't know about you, but I've definitely had moments in my life where I may not be able to remember how I did it, but I remember how I felt when I was doing it. And so any of us who have ever found ourselves in a very tricky situation, whether it's, you know, a challenging work situation, whether it's making a, you know, huge change in your family situation, there's so many different ways that challenges present itself. But I think when your back is really up against the wall and the only thing you can do is fight for your life is to dig in your heels and maybe even do things that you've never, you never thought you'd have the strength to overcome. You may forget the details, but you know how you felt. And I would describe my feeling of going through something similar as feeling desperate to not fail. Now, some people are like, oh, I don't like failure. It doesn't feel good. I'm like, I refuse. I refuse to fail. Do you remember any uh, pronounced feelings during that time when you were separated from your family at a young age? And how did you navigate those feelings? Because our feelings become, they're so energizing and they can take us down so many different roads, right? Not good ones. (laughs) And then hopefully better ones. How did you feel as you were navigating all of that uncertainty and those big changes? Yeah. So I, I remember a lot of emotions. Um, I was scared a lot. I was scared. I was lonely a lot. You know, I had some friends. I missed my parents. Uh, you know, I missed my sister that wasn't with us. So I felt scared and alone. And at the same time, um, I felt like I had to make it worth it. That if my parents sacrificed that much, that I, that I had to make it. I had to figure out a way in life to make it better. And I had to 
And I wanted to be proud of the fact that at some point in my life, my parents could look back and say, we made the right decision. And mm-hmm. so in that, in, in being scared and being alone and, and feeling hopeless a lot of the times, I knew that those had to be temporary feelings because I couldn't be in that state for very long because I wanted to make my parents proud. I wanted to, for them to look back and say that was the right decision. And so that drove me and that drove, that drove me for most of my life to say, hey, so many sacrifices were made. I can't let this opportunity slip. I can't mm-hmm. be lazy. I can't be, you know, I can't be what I would call typical or normal that I have to excel so we can all look back and say it was the right decision. So it drove me. And so in those moments of being afraid, there was also moments of, hey, it's happening for a reason and I need to make the most of it, that this is not, this is going to be worth it in the end. And I need to do my part in making sure that that would happen. Mm, what a healthy way to interact with fear. I mean, that that says a lot, you know, where this is going to be temporary and I have to make it worth it. Have you as an adult had a conversation with your mom like, mom, what were you thinking? Like, what were you going? I know what I was feeling on the other side of the ocean, but what what were you going through? You know, I have. And, and my dad uh, passed away a couple of years ago, but he lived a really long, healthy life. He died at 84. And yeah, I had many conversations with him about it and the sacrifices and the the, the fear that they had. And just all the things that they went through, they were they were afraid. They, they they were as afraid as I was, maybe even more so. And they had guilt, like, are we doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. You know, and they had guilt when we weren't there, and they were like, well, what, what's he doing today, or what's what's my sis, what's my daughter doing today? And so they had it hard too. Like again, as kids, you don't realize that parents suffer too, and that parents have feelings too. And a lot of times, as kids, you're like. You, know, you just think your parents are, I don't, I don't know what we think, but we don't realize that, that they have the, that they have feelings too. And so, you know, it was, it was kind of sad hearing their part of it and how hard it was for them. And, but it was also amazing to, 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 to have them, me here, how proud they were. And you know, the fact that we did make the right decision, that not only would they be able to give us a better life, but their grandkids a better life and their great grandkids. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I don't think we have those conversations enough with parents or grandparents about what they've gone through in, in their life. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty eye-opening when you do that. You know, my dad has a funny story. He used to go to, uh, and buy food when he, when he first came to America, not knowing the English language. And, you know, back then he, just, he would just buy the cheapest food. And then one day the owner of that little uh, store said, you must really like your dog. He said, he said, what do you mean, dog? He goes, well, you're buying dog. You buy a lot of dog food. And my oh. dad says, I don't, I don't have a dog. Oh. And, um, but here's what my dad said, which is the funny part. He goes, but it actually tasted fine. And it was the cheapest thing they sold. So I just kept buying it. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Um, but, you know, could you imagine that today? Like, we would eat dog food. We'd be like, that's disgusting. And um but they just did so many things mm-hmm. to survive mm-hmm. um, that we just sort of take for granted. But um, we just we just take it for granted. Oh, but yeah, okay. having conversations with our parents and grandparents is is really critical, and most of us don't do enough of that. Yeah, it gives us a, a lot of perspective. I had a gentleman on the show, Brad Ryan, who one of the things that really brought him back to life was his connection with his grandmother. And the importance of intergenerational relationships helps us to strengthen our path ahead. And you talked a little bit about 
how your parents making such a great sacrifice started to ingrain in you this intrinsic motivation, this determination to make it. Now, I don't know if at, you know, 15, you knew what made it would be or how you even decided what path you were going to, you know, pursue. Maybe you found that in, in college, but what I'm most interested in is I think when we are younger and we are forced to be adaptable, it helps to ingrain that level of perseverance, regardless of any challenges that we overcome. Because we're like, oh, I've I've been in tough situations before. Now you excelled at your career at a very young age. Did you have that foresight going into college or get going into your first job of what you were going to do to make it? I didn't have the foresight. Here's what I did have though. I was tired of being poor. I knew I wasn't going to be poor because it hurt being poor. And I'll, and I'll give you some examples of how it hurt. I remember my mother and, and back 40 years ago, um, food stamps were food stamps. They looked like Monopoly money. I think today's a card. So I remember vividly my mother taking out that money at the grocery store and me being so embarrassed that I would literally run away. I didn't want somebody to see us paying for these groceries with food stamps. So I, I knew that feeling. And I was like, God, I can't, I can't live like this. Um, I remember vividly when you go to school and they gave you, uh, when you're poor, they give you, uh, you can eat for free every day. But again, it's a little card. So when people see you take out that card, they know you're on welfare. And I remember not eating lunch every day. I, I didn't really eat lunch at all because I never wanted to pull out that card in front of my friends. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they would make fun of me. I'm sure some would and some wouldn't. My kids are mean. My kids don't really understand like what they're doing. And so I didn't want to be made fun of. And so, Karen, I knew I didn't want that. I didn't want that for me. I didn't want that for my kids. And so that drove me to do the right things that drove me to take my career seriously so my vision was don't be poor Um, (laughs) so i didn't really know what having money was but i certainly knew what being poor was like and i didn't like it and i and i felt bad and i just didn't and and i felt bad for my parents you know i i I just i just didn't like that feeling and i was like god i'm never i'm not going to be poor whatever i do i'm not going to be poor and then as you mature um, you get more of a vision that's more positive than I don't want to be poor. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. But that that can be a really healthy driver. That was actually a game changer in my own journey as an entrepreneur when I was doing so many things for such a low cost or, or too much for free. And I remember thinking, I am tired of struggling. I am so, and that started to fuel me in a different way that, hey, listen, however that motivation comes, take it, ride it. That's momentum, right? But there That's must right. have been something as you started to find your way that you were more either strategic about or more thoughtful about. Uh, and I wonder what young advice or what advice you would have for young professionals who could, you know, if they are hungry, if they are determined and whatever their motivation is great, but what are some things that you did to accelerate your career and become the youngest managing partner, one of the youngest managing partners? <laughs> so my my core value was work ethic. Mm. And so uh, we were required to come into the office around eight. Um, but I figured out if I came in at five, and I work from five to eight, and then most people would be would end work at six, but I would end at eight. So I knew that I had an extra five hours a day to do my job. Alessandro, you sound like Kobe Bryant. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. And when you do that, what happens is you don't have a 12-month year anymore. 
you have an 18-month year because you added on six months of work because you're putting in extra time. And now, listen, I was I was young. I had no kids. I had no wife. You know, most of my friends were playing video games and getting and, and getting drunk at the bars, and I just didn't do that. And I said, I'd rather put in my time now so I can be with my family later. And so, and then what would happen is my boss, I would never, ever leave before my boss left. And I was very strategic on where I would park. I find out where he parked and I would park my car right next to his. So every morning when he came in, he saw my car there and he never saw my car leave before his. And some days he would let late appointments and I might not have anything to do, but I would peek out the window and I wouldn't leave until he left. And so I began a reputation pretty quickly of, hey, Alessandro is the hardest worker we got. First one in, last one out. And I would spend studying my craft. Um, I joke about this with a lot of young advisors. They know more about their professional sports team that they know about their own business. And so I was reading on, you know, financial planning. I was reading on, you know, how do people make decisions? How do you get people to say yes? Like, how do you provide incredible client service experience. I did a lot of reading in those early years as an advisor, um, but it was it was work ethic. And then followed by always do what you say you're going to do. Now, mm-hmm. that's impossible. You, you, you're always going to drop the ball. Nobody's perfect. But if you can live by a model of just, just do what you say you're going to do with people, and if they can rely on you to do that, you will rise very quickly in any career that you have. And I got to say, in today's environment, I think it's easier than ever to do that because so many people don't. Yes. Yes. You are so right about that. I actually felt that recently. I'm like, gosh, I'm feeling like there's a lot of dropping the ball and I don't want to be that person. I can't, I, I want to, and it may happen sometimes, but I would rather it happen so seldom that that is a one-off, not just what happens. And gosh, that is such a great way to set yourself apart from your competitors, especially in today's world. And so I get frustrated about that when people drop the ball and it happens a lot. Um, but then I, I immediately change perspective and I say, well, that's to my benefit because the more people are doing that, the easier it is for me to stand out, the easier it is for people to say, hey, um, we should do business with him or we should we, we want to be around that person because they're, they are an individual we can count on. So I do get frustrated and at the very same time. I feel like, okay, I hope more people drop the ball. I mean, it makes my life harder when I'm trying to get things done. But at the same time, I do. I think it's our, to our advantage. Absolutely. I love that shift, that small shift, which I'm starting to pick up on with you. It's, you have a lot of small shifts in either your mindset or how you show up that have absolutely played a huge part in your success. What would you say one of the small shifts in your mindset has been as you went from those early years, as you mentioned, of not having kids, not having a family, being able to grind out. I know that grind culture, (laughs) but you, you know, again, having gotten to know you a little bit, you're not in the grind culture as much. You have found balance. So what would you say is a small shift that happened in your mindset as you started to find more of a balance and maybe coming away from what built your career? Mm. So for me, it happened when I had kids. Um, I was very aware that I wanted to be a good dad, that that I wanted to be there for them, that I didn't, I, I don't see any any purpose in like having all the money in the world, but not having a great relationship with your kids. And there's only a limited of time that we can do that. 
And, you know, I'm going to call it 16 to 17 years. And then after that, if you don't have that relationship with your kids, I'm not saying you can't have it, but it's going to be much more difficult. So I knew that I had, let's call it 16 years where I needed and I wanted to be there with my kids. And so the shift was, it was it's actually pretty simple. Stop watching TV. Stop, you know, stop watching, you no, know, stop surfing the net for three or four hours a day. I mean, you want to scare yourself, look on your phone and see how many hours you spend on it. And it's not productive. And I'm not saying like, listen, I, I get it. Most people are not going to stop watching TV altogether, but maybe you can, st- you can minimize it from four hours to two hours. Maybe it can be on social media from, from three hours to two hours. And so now you're going to have so much more time that you could be an amazing person at work and you can be an amazing person at home um, and not waste so much time. I'm telling you, if you just document for a week, how much time are we wasting watching TV, being on our phones? It's, it, it's, it's an alarming number for most of us. And so the shift for me was I no longer going to watch TV all that much. I'm certainly not going to sit there on a Saturday and watch three football games. I'm just not going to do that. That's nine or 10 hours. And a lot of people do that. And so the shift is there's only 24 hours in a day. We all have the same amount of time. What am I going to do with it? How much am I going to sleep? How much am I going to work? How much am I going to be present with my family? And um, we, we have time. It's just how do we choose? How do we choose to spend that time? Uh, most of us fall down on that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm uh, getting the sense that you said, you know, you didn't want to be poor, but I'm getting a sense that the greatest currency in your life is time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and time was really the people that matter most. Mm-hmm. And um, so to me, in this stage of my life, I have my, I have my family. That's amazing. And I have a few really good friends. I don't have 50 good friends. I have a lot of acquaintances. I have a lot of people that I know, a lot of people that I would socialize with. And so, yeah, I want to spend the time with my family and a few good friends. And I want to spend that time talking about positive things. I want to spend that time talking about solutions. I want to spend that time around a fire and listening to music and and I'm um, on these magical nights that, that we have. Um, I don't want to spend gossiping. I don't want to spend, I just, there's just, I want to be, when I'm spending time with someone, I want to walk away from that time feeling energized about the time I just spent. Mm-hmm. So I don't tolerate negativity all that well. Yeah, you protect your space. I like it. I like it. Well, it sounds like what you value also in there with your time is things that fill your soul, things Mm -hmm. that make you feel good, that make those lasting impressions. They're not just like fleeting moments. But that that does sound a little opposite to the title of your book, The Buddha Who Drove a Bentley. So can you give us a little insight to how did you come up with this title and what was the inspiration behind the book? So I think people think it's, it's, it's one or the other. I think you can be a really good person and be really spiritual and believe in God, or you can have a lot of money and you can't have two. And, and that's sort of the culture. It's like, and, and people misquote this, this all the time, money is, uh, is, is, is evil, but it really isn't. Now, it, it certainly can be. Um, and so the reason I made the, the title of this book was very specific. God wants us to be abundant. God doesn't want us to struggle. God doesn't want us 
to um, live in poverty. He just doesn't. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And so you can be this really amazing person and be super spiritual and be literally be a Buddha and you could drive a bat. Now, I don't think my opinion, um, I don't think God wants us to have 10 Bentleys or have 10 cars or have or have 10 watches or houses. There, there is a limit on you're just doing it for ego. Mm. And, and a lot of my life was that way. And that's why I wrote the book, because I was heading down the path of, of ego. But when you, when you have an abundant lifestyle, really the money is to help others. And it may be a charity. So uh, my wife is just involved, they call it, for Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. She's a cancer survivor. And they have a 10-week competition on who can raise the most amount of money. And she actually won the whole country and raised $917,000 in 10 weeks for cancer research. That's what money is for. Mm -hmm. That's where the real power is when you have money that you can give to organizations like that. Or maybe you have a sibling that's going through a rough time and that sibling may need some money to get back on their feet. And maybe you have a friend that's going through a tough time. And, and so I've really discovered that that is one of the true keys to happiness is how much you give to others and not in an ego format. Like, Hey, look what I just, look what I just did. A lot of the money that we now get is totally uni- uh, anonymous. No, no, but no, no one knows. And so the reason of the, the title was so important to me was exactly that, that it's not one or the other money's not evil. Now, there's certainly a lot of people that have money that are evil, but I found that to not be the norm. And if you have good values, that you can do a lot of amazing things with money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, money isn't um, what I'm thinking of is you're going to be evil with or without the money, right? right? Or or you're going to do good with or without the money. If you didn't have the open checkbook where you could write a, a big check to someone in need, Maybe the way that you show up is by bringing meals, right? Or helping them with the trash or anything. So it doesn't change who you are. And I think there was actually, yeah, there was a show on TV for a while and it was following different lottery winners. And it was like my life, you know, after winning the big ticket or something, I don't know, I'm pretty sure it's not the title of it, but what they found was that you are the same person that you were before, after you won the lottery. It's just that the money highlighted those characteristics about you. Yeah. And and the interesting thing about people that do win a lot of also end up bankrupt within a five-year period. Mm. And the simple reason for that is if you didn't earn it, you're not going easy to- Easy come, make- easy go, my mom used to say. Correct, <laughs> correct. And so, and that's why I think it's super impressive when people are born with money and then take that to the next level and are really good people because that's very difficult to do. And so if you're out there and you're listening, you don't have any money, I think that's perfect. I, I think that's- Once you begin to learn how to navigate it, and once you begin to build your career and you earn your own money, that is so much better than anyone handing you anything. And so that's where all the lessons are. And when you're you're earning it and when you're bankrupt and when you're struggling to pay your bills, it's like those where all the lessons come in. And as much as we don't like it, that is exactly what we need. The journey. The journey, yeah. 
All right, friends, we're going to pause for just a quick second to spotlight some folks who support the show. So we'll be back in just a moment. Are you ready to supercharge your life and get access to more opportunities than you've ever dreamed of? Then join me, James Whitaker, in the Win the Day Accelerator. Presented by Success, this entire eight-part program has been created to help you activate your winning life once and for all. You'll gain clarity on your goals and purpose. You'll learn how to quickly overcome challenges and you'll get proven tips and frameworks that will deliver you big results fast in all areas of your life. So if you're ready to win, join me in the Win the Day Accelerator. To sign up, visit success.com slash WTD. Now your journey, you said you were kind of chasing those things for a while, or you were filling, filling, you thought you were filling your cup, you know, chasing those things, maybe being a little ego driven. Uh, how did you course correct? What made you course correct? Yeah. Was that when you said your kids or did that come afterwards? It came afterwards. It came afterwards. I, I feel like I was always a good dad and I'm, and I'm very blessed that I have an amazing relationship with my three daughters. I really do. But I just felt there was, there was something more. I just felt like, and I and I believe most people feel this way, especially as you get into your 40s and 50s, that buying another watch doesn't make you any happier. And buying a new car doesn't make you any happier. And in all the material things that, that I was buying, I just felt emptiness. And I just knew there was something more. There was just something more to life. I had to figure it out and discover that there was something more to life for me. And I thank God every day that I did. And that's where this book came from. And the book is, is, um, is, is a fable, but you'll find out very quickly. It's um, mostly a true story. And it's this person that's lost. The name, uh, name character is Vincent. And he's lost. He's going for a ride in his beautiful car, but he knows he's lost. He knows there's got to be something more. And he's kind of like hopeless. He's like, if there isn't anything more, like, I'm not really sure I want this life. And so as he drives, as he drives away, somehow, you know, after read the book, he ends up in this like amazing, magical land. And through his journey there, he meets 15 different people that teach him 15 different lessons. You know, one of my favorite lessons is on forgiveness. It's hard to live a good life unless you can forgive others and, and, even more important is forgiving yourself. So someone's teaching Vincent about forgiveness of all the things that, that he's done wrong and all the wrong that have been done to him. Um, and so he really goes on to these 15 different people that he meets throughout this journey. And it talks about forgiveness. It talks about being abundant. It talks about truth, both telling the truth and being truthful with your own self, which again is really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the journey, Vincent needs to make a decision. He can stay in this really amazing land that he's discovered and, and live happily ever after with no real issues and, and kind of all that pain and sorrow has gone away. Or he can return back and teach these lessons to others. And so he's got a really hard decision to make. And um, you'll have to read the book to see which way. Well, of course, I'm on the edge of my seat. We'll make sure we also put it in the show notes so everybody can get their copy. But I think that's absolutely beautiful. And especially for you to be able to channel your life experiences into a book that's going to help so many. I mean, that's incredible. But you've also channeled some of your passion, your life experiences into this new endeavor, Spirit Water, which I have to tell you, when I heard the name, I was like, that's really, really cool. Because I was in a grocery store with my son one day and he looked over and he goes, mom, what is that? 
And I looked over and there's a, you know, an array of different, I don't know, vitamin waters and all this other stuff. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, liquid death. And I was like, yeah, the funny story is that's water. And he said, well, why would they call it that? I said, you know, marketing. That's what I, I saw on, I read something about the company and they said, we're going to make something, you know, where people are like, I, I forget if it was just like hooking them in, but, or it was just like, maybe they wanted them to feel this contrast in their mind of like, wait, what could this be? Whatever it was, it was marketing, right? The whole name, the whole packaging, it's it's in a, what looks like a beer can, but it is literally water. And I found that absolutely fascinating because my son at maybe it was 11 at the time picked up on what is this? <laughs> So when I saw your name, I thought that's very, very interesting because I recently had this, you know, experience with, with liquid death. So tell us, how did you come into and how did you decide to venture out with this endeavor of spirit water? Yeah. So I think the first thing I want to talk about is, and I think we need to be, we need to pay attention to this. Words matter. Mm, Every word I agree matters. with that. Yes. Every word matters. And at a young age, they matter even more. And so what happens was when we read something, when we see an advertisement, all that, and this is the way, this is why they do it, it seeps into our subconscious mind. And that can be very dangerous if we're putting dangerous words in our mind. Mm -hmm. And so the name Spirit Water really was based on that, that I want something that's wholesome, that I want something that's pure, that I want something when people see it, it's got a beautiful picture attached to it that they actually get comfort in their soul to say, Hey, I'm drinking water, and the name is healing spirit yeah. water. And so that was very much on purpose. So, where did this company come from? About 10 months ago, I stopped drinking. I'm talking to my daughters, they're all in college, and they say to me, Hey, dad, you know, a lot of kids go out, but they don't really want to drink, they really don't. And, um, but they want to go, they want to dance or listen to music, but they don't really want to drink. And a, a lot more bars are serving like bottled water. And I said, well, I said, why don't we start a water company? Now we know, we know zero about starting a water company. It's not like, you know, we don't have a business plan. We don't know. This is like very strategic, but I'm going to tell you, it's going really, really well. And it's going to be super successful. So we said, okay, let's do that. And then my daughter's Again, being in college and, and just um, taking some classes saying, you know, the environment's very important to this generation. And I say, well, I think it's important to every generation, maybe your generation more than others, but we all care about the environment. And I said, well, plastic is really detrimental for the planet. And um, why don't we put the water in aluminum cans? And so I said, that's a great idea. And I said, let's go one step further. Let's make it a... Um, a twist top so you can refill the water. So if you have really good water where you are, you can refill the water. You don't have to keep buying the water. And so we made the water in aluminum. It's um, twist top so you can reuse it to to because aluminum does get recycled 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Again, intentionality, <laughs> strategic thought with everything. I mean, your girls are just reaping all of these different benefits of your life lessons and good parenting. I love that you're taking them on the adventure with you. I think it's such a, it's a different way that your parents were setting you up for success, but it feels very similar to say, we're going into the unknown together. 
and we're going to figure this out together. And maybe in your case, your parents weren't right next to you, but they were with you. They were with mm -hmm. you all the way. You held them in your heart, your drive. And I know your daughters are going to do the same with this endeavor. Is there anything that you are particularly excited about working with your daughters? <laughs> yeah, it's just been all such a blessing learning, discovering, um, failing together, trying to create uh, marketing that's pure, by the way, in healing. We're not creating anything at all that doesn't have that message of healing, and curing, and being good for the world. Um, aligning ourselves with influencers that feel the same way. Aligning yourself with people that say, hey, I don't drink. I don't need to hide it. I don't drink. I'm proud of the fact that I don't drink. You know, water is the purest source that we have. Like we were meant to drink water. We're not meant to drink soda. We're not meant to drink beer. We're not meant to drink all these other crazy things that we invent. Um, we're meant to drink water. So our water comes from a rainforest in Georgia. It's filtered through two miles of granite. And then, it, so we test it. It's extremely pure. It tastes really good. And when you drink water from aluminum, it stays cold. Now, mm -hmm. if you don't like cold water, then I wouldn't put it in a refrigerator, but it stays really cold. So it's all been a blessing. And people say to me, you know, I think you've lost your mind. You have a, such a successful business and you're going into one of the most competitive businesses in the world selling water. And I say, yeah, maybe I have lost my mind, but I do believe it's going to be super successful. And um, it's been it's an, been an amazing journey. You know, one of the greatest things was I'll have to send you the video. But the first shipment of this water we got, we didn't have a warehouse. So it came to our house. And so here we are in a very nice neighborhood and this truck pulls up and they don't come up the driveway because they can't. And so here we are unloading, you know, 10,000 cans of water into our garage. And, you know, we, we posted on social media, but it was so amazing. It was like one of the greatest days of my life. Like I'm sitting there, I think I'm even mad, even had my suit on because I must've went to work in the morning. So I'm showing up and, and to see my daughters. And then we, then I said, okay, call all your friends and we'll pay them 20 bucks an hour to, um, to help us unload. So a couple <laughs> of friends came over, you know, those to me are priceless moments. If the water never made a dollar, I would look back on that experience and say, you know, what a blessing that that was. And so it's been fun to start it from the ground up. It's been fun to fail. It's been fun to to build a website with 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 my girls and my wife. And so it's been amazing. And but I gotta tell you, it's it's going to go places. And and you know, I God God's on all our sides, by the way. I think I think if we sit in quiet and meditation, God will download like what he wants us to do. He, should, he certainly does it for me. But just two weeks ago, LAX announced that there will be no more plastic water at the airport. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yes. yes. Oh, I am so excited for you. That's such a big, that's a, that's big in itself, but wow. Is that a telltale sign of the direction that we're headed? Yeah. Martha's Vineyard, I think next summer is banning all plastic bottles mm -hmm. on the island. So mm -hmm. it's it's coming. I think it'll take a while until sure. everybody does it. Because yep. right now you can go to you can go to Walmart. You can buy twenty four cases of water for six dollars. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. You should ask yourself why is it so cheap. Mm -hmm. And and maybe if you really want to get scared, test it and see what kind of water quality it has. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, water and, and aluminum is going to be more expensive. And if, mm -hmm. if it's sourced correctly, it's just going to be it's going to be more expensive. That'll always be that'll always be an issue. 
But yeah, a lot of, I think a lot of companies and airports will go in that direction. It'll be all aluminum in the next decade. I hope because the plastic is really, is really hurting our planet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just have one more question before we get into some rapid fire questions. How do you balance all of your professional ambitions and these different things that you're pursuing with your spiritual growth? Again, if you don't waste time watching TV and being on social media, you'll be surprised how much time you have. Mm. And so I feel I have plenty of time. I get up early, I go to bed late, I meditate, I pray, I work out. Um, I just don't, I just don't waste a lot of time watching TV. I actually can't remember the last time I watched TV and not that I wouldn't watch a good movie, but I'm certainly not going to get wrapped up in a 10 season Netflix show. That's going to take 190 hours to finish. And so I think we'll all be surprised how much time we have if we stop wasting it. You're such a numbers person. <laughs> I love it. Well, think about it. Would you ever watch like a 200 hour movie? You'd be like, what are you talking about? And yet we get caught up in these Netflix season there's like 10 seasons of 10 episodes You're like wait a minute I, do the math like, I would never watch that long of a movie but and again they're brilliant you keep talking about marketing they're brilliant marketers and all of a sudden we're glued to a tv and we don't have time for anything we're so busy but we're not we're wasting so much time so um, i think we can all balance it all and again you don't have to be drastic and radical you don't have to cut out all tv but cut it out by 30 percent and see how you feel so I always tell people, don't take my word for it. My word is, is meaningless on how you feel, but just do it for a week and document it and then see how you feel. You know, watch less TV, see how you feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, meditate, see how you feel. Pray, see how you feel. Drink more water, see how you feel. Don't take my word for it. Um, and when people do that, 100% of the time, like, yeah, you're right. I'm like, mm-hmm. what? I'm like, it wasn't meant to be right. It was just, that's just the way the world works. And so there's a lot of time. There's a lot of time for you to balance all the important things in life. Yeah. Oh, right there. There's plenty of time to balance the important things. Thank you for that. Well, let's hop into these rapid fire questions. First, when you think about self-care, what fills your cup? Quietness. Mm -hmm. Yes. Being still, being quiet. Yes. Yes. Good. Quietness. Yeah. What is one mistake that happened in your career, but brought you the greatest insight or learning lesson? Hmm. Trying to get clients too quickly. Mm. Like pressing, like being on my timetable, not theirs. Mm. So being impatient really hurt me early on in my career because they felt like I wanted to sell them. And then that is never a good thing. So not being patient enough and working on my time frame, not theirs. That's a good one. That is very, very good. Okay. Uh, I know you meditate. Do you meditate daily, often? Uh, daily. And so how much time do you spend meditating? So about 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes in the afternoon, and 30 minutes at night. So I find about an hour and a half. And sometimes there's total stillness and quietness. Sometimes it's this beautiful medicine music that I listen to. And so it really uh, varies. And I, I'm addicted to it. I, I, my, my days go so much better when I do it. So very rarely do I miss a day. Mm, I love that. And thank you for also mentioning that you do it differently because same, sometimes it's quiet. Sometimes it's music. Sometimes it's guided. Uh, sometimes it's following one of my senses, actually. So mm. I appreciate you kind of bringing in that variety. I think that's important for people to understand that meditation isn't just a one way. When you say follow your senses, tell me about that. 
Yeah. So for example, I just did this yesterday. I was looking at a flower and I looked at every single detail of the flower and I just kept my eye on, notice the veins I noticed, but I'll do that. You know, in my house, I could look at a plant or I will um, sit somewhere where the sun is coming in and I'll just notice everywhere that feels warm on my face where the sun is, is touching, or I'll follow my fingertip ridges and I'll close my eyes. And as I rub my fingertips together, I bring my attention to the ridges. So that's touch. So yeah, yeah, different ways that you can just okay. engage your senses to to meditate. So I'm not trying that. I will try that. Um, I will try that this afternoon. That's pretty oh, neat. Good, That's good. Awesome. Let me know how you yeah. like it. Yeah, I will. That's great. <laughs> and then last question. All expenses paid vacation to anywhere in the world. Where are you going and who are you bringing with you? Oh, uh, So that's not fair because um, <laughs> I want to travel the world. I really do. Um, the, the who is easy. It's my daughter, my wife, and either their boyfriends or their future husbands. Mm. Um, so that one is an easy one. Right now, I am going to say the Amalfi Coast in Italy in the month of late September. Oh, nice. Beautiful and very specific. I like that. <laughs> yeah, well, you got to go in the right time of year. But, but honestly, the world is such a beautiful place that I want to see it all. Yeah. I really do. I want to go to Egypt. I want to go to Japan. I want to go to Dubai. I want to go to Africa. Like there's so many things I want that I just want to see the world and meet all the one. The last thing I want to say, I know we have to wrap up in my travels. I, I always talk to people now and I got to tell you, most people are good. Most people are amazing. Most people will help you. Most people, they, they really will. We have to stop the notion that most people are bad. They are not. And I travel a lot. And I got to tell you, every time I travel, whether it's the cab driver, Uber driver, the, the person serving at the restaurant, somebody walking down the street, people are good and people are helpful. And we that's what we need more of. Yes. In whatever way, shape, form, profession, casual moment, be the good that we need in this world. That is what I hope our listeners walk away with from this conversation. Agreed. Alessandro, thank you so much for everything that you're doing. We will make sure that all the links to Spirit Water, to the Buddha who has it, who drove a Bentley, that all of it is linked in the show notes so that people can continue to learn more from all of the light that you are bringing in the world. So thank you so much. Thank you, Karen. Thanks for having me. This has been In the Details. If you like the show, tell a friend. For more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcasts.